Amen. Amen. So one of the things that, uh, for those of you who have been tracking with this series, uh, one of the things that you've probably uh, recognized is a common challenge. Uh, anytime that you're taking a, a theological foundation and applying it to the real world. I'll give you an example. Uh, we know that the gospel love of Jesus, the unconditional self-sacrificing love of Jesus, is the foundation for parenting your children uh, according to the will of God. However, we struggle sometimes to figure out how that, uh, those truths matter when my two-year-old will not eat their vegetables for dinner. So we have this, this theological foundation uh, that we know to be true that must give us guidance, and yet we have to sort of make the connection now to this specific instance. How does this play out here and now? Well, it's the same with our discussion. Uh, what I've been doing is laying sort of a foundation for uh, thinking about what it looks like to engage uh, in a politically charged world. What does it mean as believers? And yet, um, I'm guessing that many of you have questions about how those foundational truths specifically answer what do I do in this particular situation or on this issue. And that is uh, a dilemma that I would not dare rescue you from. Uh, you must work through those things uh, on your own with the Lord and with others in conversation with others, more intimate conversations. What does this look like? So you guys remember the movie uh, Lord of the Rings? The movie Lord of the Rings. You like how I said that? Because I, unlike some others, have not read the books The Lord of the Rings. Um, in the uh, original one, The Fellowship of the Ring, when the fellowship first gathers together, they're all there discussing the fate of the ring. You remember this scene? And Boromir offers the suggestion, we could use this power for good. We should keep the ring because we would commit now as good citizens to only use this power for good. And Gandalf has to essentially remind him, you don't understand the power that this ring represents. It is not your servant. It will only be your master. So here's the final piece in our discussion on uh, your kingdom come what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be a member of the kingdom of God and engaged in the kingdoms of man. So quick review really quickly. God's kingdom is defined as this. It's everywhere that his reign is experienced. It's where his rule is realized. As his reign is experienced in my life in more ways, his kingdom is advanced in my life. His will is done in my life. That was the first week. Second week, there is only one power of the kingdom of God. It is not the power or the intellect of man. It is not the raw strength of our capabilities, of our minds. 
The power that is the force, the driving force behind the expansion of the kingdom of God is the power of the gospel. It's when dead things are brought to life and transformed into his image and into his will. From darkness to light, from bondage to the freedom of walking in the love of God and enjoying his reign over my life. And then last week, we looked at two values of the kingdom of God, two values that should matter to us now as we look at our world. The first one was justice, and the second one was mercy. And now today, I'm going to give you the final piece. I know, it's sad. It's the last time, but we're just going to have to move on. So I'm going to tell you a little story. This is from the Old Testament. It's found in 1 Samuel. I actually referenced this story briefly two weeks ago, and I want to look into it a little more in depth. It's a really fascinating story. And uh, it's the story of the prophet Samuel uh, from 1 Samuel. So Samuel was, was not only a prophet, but he was a judge. And in history, if you look at the historical timeline, we came out of the judges uh, which is a time frame where uh, God appointed various people to lead the people of Israel, and they were referred to as judges. They were, they were leaders with, with limited political power, but they were given the responsibility by God to lead his people. Well, if you've read the book of Judges, you know it goes really poorly, it gets bad, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worser, and then finally worsest. In 1 Samuel 8, Samuel is getting old, and it says that he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel in his place. His firstborn was Joel, his second was Abijah, and they were appointed as political leaders as judges over Israel. And then the storyteller tells us this. His sons, however, did not walk in the ways of Samuel. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes. They started perverting justice. They started taking Israel back down the road that they had just been down for, for several generations before Samuel. And all of the elders of Israel gathered together they came to Samuel and they said, Samuel, you're old and your sons do not lead like you lead. They do not walk in your uh, ways. So we have a request. We want you to give us a king to judge us like the rest of the nations around us. So three observations really quick from this story. I'm going to give you three observations, and I'm going to land on one, actually, point. The first observation is this, is that these people legitimately believed that the consequences of rejecting God could be solved politically. They believed that the consequences of rejecting God could be solved politically. Now, this is what we want you to do. The judges are not walking with the Lord. They're not walking in obedience. So we need uh, a political system that has more force to it. We want a king. 
And the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel, and they said, when they said, give us a king, and Samuel went to the Lord and prayed, and the Lord said to Samuel, I want you to do what they've asked, and I want you to not take it personally. It's not actually a comparison between judges and kings. They have not rejected your leadership. They've actually rejected my leadership. Samuel, or the Lord says to Samuel, he says, I want you to have a conversation with them, a heart to heart. And I want you to explain to them what having a king means so that they're clear as to what this will look like in their future. Because not only did they believe that the consequences of rejecting God could be solved politically, but the second observation is this. They believed that that solution was a more powerful leader they believed that the solution to their social political issues, the nation was a mess, there was injustice. It just told us that the judges were perverting justice, they were taking bribes, they were pursuing gain dishonestly, they were benefiting financially from their positions of power. And Israel believed that the solution to that was a more powerful leader in charge. And so Samuel says to them, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you install a king, this is in, in picking it up in verse 11. First of all, he's going to take your sons and he's going to give, uh, place them in his own service for his chariots, for his horsemen. They will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. If you appoint a king and give that king more power, that king is going to take your young men and put them in his service. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He's going to take the best of your fields the best of your vineyards, your olive groves. He's going to take those and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of all of your seed, of all of your vineyards, give them to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and will use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will eventually become his servants. You want a king invested with more power to serve you? If you give him more power, eventually you will serve him. Can you imagine? I know it's going to be difficult, but try. Can you imagine a government taking 10% of everything that you own. (laughs) 
They believed that the solution to their social-political issues was a more powerful leader. And Samuel says, understand that if you give more power to leaders, eventually they will not be serving you, you will be serving them. Did you know that right now, the US government is 40% of GDP? Do you know that? That's a fun fact, right? 40% of our economy is our government. God was clear about one thing. This is the third observation. God was very clear about this. Verse 18, he says, and then you will cry out in that day because of your king that you chose for yourselves and the Lord will not answer you in that day. God was clear about this. You will regret the decision to give more power to political leaders. You will cry out in that day because of the king that you chose for yourselves. When the burden becomes too great, when the cost gets too high, God says, you will eventually regret giving away your power. And there is a very specific reason, and this is what I want to land on today. Because when you give away your power, you end up with less freedom. You will regret giving away power because when you give away power, you end up with less freedom. He doesn't say the king that you will give these things to a more powerful leader. He says that that more powerful leader will take these things. When you give away your power, you end up with less freedom. And the kingdom of God is the kingdom of freedom. So here is my, here is my sort of driving truth for today, and I want to unpack this a little bit. Freedom is the foundation of God's kingdom. Freedom is the foundation of God's kingdom. It is the foundation for our relationship with God. It is the foundation for walking with the Lord. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom. It was for the enjoyment and the experience of freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You were set free from bondage. You were set free so that you could walk in freedom and enjoy freedom. Don't then turn around and resubject yourself. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me 
to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of freedom. It is the necessary foundation and prerequisite for relationship with God. Because without freedom, love cannot exist. Ravi Zacharias says that the supreme ethic of the Christian faith is the ethic of love. And love cannot exist without freedom. It cannot be compelled, it cannot be coerced, it cannot be forced. Love only exists, grows, and thrives in the context of freedom. When you were brought from death to life by the resurrection power of Jesus, you were also brought from bondage to freedom. And this is the tension. God has ordained government as the imperfect upholder of justice, like we talked about last week, mercy, and freedom. God has appointed government or ordained government as the imperfect upholder of justice, mercy, and freedom. The story in 1 Samuel tells us if you have placed all of your hope in a particular form of government, a particular political structure, if maybe the right political party had more power, if that's where your hope lies, God says, you're going to regret that down the road. If you have placed all of your stock in an imperfect government ordained by God to uphold justice, mercy, and freedom, you're going to be disappointed. And to the degree that you have given away your freedoms, that you have given more power, that power will eventually be wielded against you. So let me give you a couple examples of how that kind of works into your political thought process. Uh, there are many young people today in particular, and I mentioned this last week, who are more supportive of a socialist approach to governance. And the reason that they're more supportive is because in their understanding of a socialist approach to governance, that is a more merciful uh, form of governance. They will say more just, but like I said last week, uh, the term just there is used in a different sense than it is biblically. It's used to mean uh, fairness in the temporal sense, right? It's not fair that this guy has 10 times as much money as this guy, and a socialist approach to governance is a way to resolve that fairness, show mercy to the guy who has so little. But to accomplish this, you need a government that has more power to take away more resources, and further reduce your freedom over your own resources. Many others support a capitalist economy, and they support it because it is a system 
based on a tremendous amount of freedom. They support it because it is a system that allows people to freely pursue gain. And it is a system within which it's easier to be unjust. It is a system that can be ruthlessly unmerciful. And this is our challenge. How do you pursue, without compromising one or the other, justice, mercy, and freedom? We cannot pursue freedom at the expense of mercy. Proverbs 21, 13, the one who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. And this is our challenge today. Freedom is truly a dangerous thing. Do you guys remember the garden? If I was in charge, with my limited scope of expertise and my current vantage point, I would have foregone the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? There's too great of a threat that that freedom represents. And yet that was God's wisdom and God's will to create an environment where there is a free choice along with all of its consequences. Heaven and hell are the just outcome of our own choices, our freedom. So what do we do? Well, what happens is, is we, we walk in that tension, justice, mercy, freedom, and for many people, their, their sort of political leaning is the upholding of one of those at the expense of the others. And I'm actually not here to criticize that. But what the story in 1 Samuel suggests is to the degree that you believe that giving away your freedoms in the form of investing more power in human leaders, God says, there's gonna come a time later where you're gonna regret that decision. It's not gonna go well. First Peter 2.16. This is a kingdom principle regarding freedom. I want you to act as free men. I want, you, I want everything that you do, I want you to choose freely. But do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it to, as a bond slave to God. Use your free choice to place yourself under the rule and reign of God and allow God's will to be accomplished through your life. That's the appropriate exercise of freedom. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brethren, but don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve each other. Make a free choice to prioritize the needs of others rather than satisfying your own cravings. What we see today, and, and many are, are protest this, is the consequences of a very free society is that many will use those freedoms to serve themselves as an opportunity for the flesh to satisfy its own cravings for, for success and uh, personal satisfaction accumulation of wealth, 
uh, sexual expression. Yeah, those are all legitimate risks. And God has appointed imperfect leaders to maintain freedoms while ensuring that they don't compromise justice, while ensuring that it's not at the abandonment of mercy. But there is no human form of government that's going to solve that perfectly. A transformed person is not forced or coerced into the appropriate exercise of freedoms. A transformed person, the one brought from death to life, is motivated by the love of God. That's the driving force in their hearts and in their minds, is the desire to walk in the footsteps of Christ, a life laid down, self-sacrificing service of others. They do that as a free expression of their own will. And remember, I said this two weeks ago, social transformation is brought about by the same power that produces personal transformation. Can you imagine a society where everyone has made a free decision to love and serve others from the very top, our leaders, all the way to the very bottom. If you can imagine such a society, you have imagined the kingdom of God in its full expression. There is only one power that can bear up under the weight of our great expectations. There is only one power that does not disappoint. It is the transforming power of the gospel that brings the dead to life, that brings those in darkness into the light of his love, that brings those in bondage to sin into the freedom of relationship with him. You want more of those people voting? Make disciples. So here's my wrap up. Uh, Drew, you can come up. I'll make this really quick. I have two personal Aaron Weiser points of wrap-up to this whole series. Politics is like money. If you worship it, it will own you. If you ignore it, it will victimize you. If you work it, it will serve you. And the way that you engage with it always reveals the quality of your own faith. We are stewards of what has been entrusted to us. So my first wrap-up is this. When it comes to politics, work it, don't worship it. And number two, this is where I land <clears throat> as a result of everything that I've covered over the last four weeks. You are not victims. You are not victims as members of the kingdom of God. Jesus suffered the worst imaginable fate possible at the hands of an incredibly unjust system, and he repeatedly reaffirmed this point. I am not a victim. 
God's kingdom is being established. I am a part of that. I am a part of his kingdom coming on the earth. It is my desire, not that my will would be done, but that his will would be done. I am not a victim. When you understand the world from the lens of God's kingdom, which remember is growing and will someday cover the whole earth. When you understand the world correctly from the lens of God's kingdom, you will live and act with peace and with purpose in the face of anger and despair. God, I pray that you would grant us the supernatural capacity as those who have been transformed by your love to be beacons of your goodness, your kindness, your holiness, your love to the world around us. Lord, your word says that the nations rage And yet we know that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to our King, Jesus. We know that he is returning to fully and finally establish his kingdom on earth. And while we look forward to that great day, give us grace, give us humility, give us wisdom. Give us love as aliens on this earth. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.